a little message in your heart. I just want to, while you're turning to Luke 10, 25, I want to thank Coach and Rod for the excellent word uh, last week and for the excellent service last week. Rod and Coach, thank you guys for, for uh, substituting for us in our absence and just praying for us and holding down the service. Thank you all of you for your faithfulness. The Andersons sang beautifully, and uh, we appreciate just all the music and worship. Bakara. I saw Thomas up there singing last week. Uh, uh, he, gave, he had his mic, so thank you guys for getting Thomas his mic so that he could participate. I love it. God is good. So Luke chapter 10, really quickly, if you will. Luke chapter 10, verse 25, just a couple verses in your hearing. Quick thought, and then we'll be done. Here's what it says. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, Jesus said to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he, Jesus said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. Please bow your heads. Lord, we just thank you for your word today. May it sink in our hearts. Give us wisdom and knowledge, not only to hear your word this morning, but to be doers of your word According to James 1.22, in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Okay, real quickly, this encounter, this, was, this is just a, a fascinating text. I'm not going to finish it today. I'm not even going to try. I'm just going to give you part one this morning, part one, part one of Jesus and the Good Samaritan. We'll talk about the Good Samaritan next Sunday, but this Sunday I want to talk about just part one. Luke chapter 10, here's what it says. And, the, and this lawyer, by the way, stood up. Let me just say, when you see the word lawyer, typically in the New Testament, they're not talking about, like, better call Saul. They're not talking about Cleveland's own Tim Misney, I'll make them pay. That's not the kind of lawyer they're talking about. The kind of lawyer they're talking about is a lawyer or a doctor sometimes of the Hebrew law, the Jewish law. This guy was an expert in Hebrew law Jewish application as it related to the Bible. He was typically a learned scholar from some school of thought. He was usually a, a pupil under another high, highly educated Jewish leader. And you basically became their shadow and you learned from them. Uh, sometimes there were schools, like there were schools of the prophets, but typically you, you were trained under another group or another individual who was a scribe or a highly ranked Pharisee. So this guy was very educated. You could be a Pharisee without being a scribe, but typically you weren't a scribe without being a Pharisee. A scribe is the person that actually wrote down the law, copied it. He was the interpretation or the translator of it. He was the person that actually gave you the written copies on the parchments. So this particular, this particular lawyer, or I will call him maybe more like a biblical scholar, in their way of thinking, approach Jesus with the intent to trick them. Now, listen to this. You say, well, that's not in there, Pastor. Well, but yeah, it is. If you look over in Matthew 25, it says, and the lawyer asked him a question to test him. You shouldn't test the Lord. You shouldn't try to trick the Lord because he's going to get you. Amen. You can't win. Don't play games with God. Don't play games with God's word. You know, let your yeas be yea and your nay be nay. Don't try to be cute or, or, or try to nuance things to the point where you twist it to your favor. 
And that's what these guys were trying to do. They were trying to trap Jesus to get him to say something that they could use against him in a court of law, a real court of law, where he could be prosecuted and even executed. And of course, eventually he was. But so the guy asked the, the Lord a great question. He said, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Listen, this is important. I'm going to be really short, so I want you to stay focused. This is not the first time the Lord had heard this question. He heard this question before. He heard this question, matter of fact, not too long ago in chapter, you go down eight chapters to Luke 18, 18, the rich young ruler came up to him and said, good master or good teacher, what can I do to inherit eternal life? This was a common question that Jesus seemed to be fielding. He heard a similar question about a week before he died. Somebody came up to him and said it over there in Mark 20, 12, and 12, 28, which commandment is the greatest of them all? Kind of still like the same question. What do I need to do to get eternal life? One more time this question was posed, and it wasn't to Jesus. It was a question posed by the Philippian jailer over in Acts chapter 16. He asked Paul and Silas when the earthquake came and all the doors of the prisons were open, and the jailer thought for sure there would be a prison break, a mass prison break, and everybody stayed put. And remember Paul said those great words, do thyself no harm, we are all here. And that's when the guy fell out on these says, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Same question. What must I do to be saved? What can I do to gain eternal life? So there's this amazing question. By the way, it's the best question anybody can ask. There's not a more important question in life as to what can I do to live forever? What can I do to get life after death? What can I do to, better yet, extend my life so that I don't even have to die, even though Romans 3.23 says it's appointed, or Romans 3 says it's appointed unto Actually, it's in Hebrews. It's appointed to a man once to die and then the judgment. Romans says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, and that the wages of sin is death. But listen, this question is excellent because he's asking, how can I live even after I die? How can I extend my life beyond the grave? How can I extend this so that I can see the Lord's face in peace and hear him say, well done, my good and faithful servant? I can see his face and he's not angry and casting me into hell. What can I do to avoid that? That was the question that Jesus was asking, was asked rather. And I love how the Lord flipped it. He flipped the question and he said, you answer it. By the way, there is something in debates and argumentation that's called the Socratic law. And the Socratic law invented by allegedly Socrates whose student was Plato, he was saying he would, he would use questions to question a question. A person that would ask a question, he would flip the script and say, well, what about this? So if you would say the sky is blue, he would say, how are you sure? Are you sure the sky is not gray? And he would use a question really for the, for the purpose of not trying to confuse somebody or mix them up, but to try to get them to understand if, if what they were asking was even legitimate or get them tried to answer their own question. So it was called a Socratic method of questioning and it was used as a technique, not just by Jesus, it was used well before his time, but it was a way of challenging, listen, of challenging the questioner's authenticity or challenging the questioner's legitimacy. Is this question really right or are you being disingenuous? So Jesus said, wait a minute, you ask me? He said, what do you think? What does the law say? How do you read it? How do you interpret the law? That's code for saying, rather than me answering the question, why don't you answer the question? What, what do you think the answer is? I love that. 
I love that. Good. It's a good teaching technique too. I'm not an educator, but I, when I used to teach, when I used to teach at a Bible college for a couple years in, in East Cleveland, I remember you, the students that I had. I remember trying to ask them questions that they would ask me. I would ask them, "What do you think the answer is?" I like that technique because it challenges us as students to think, to think for ourselves. You try to come up with the answer. How would you answer it if someone else asked you that question? And so the guy gave the answer. And listen, he didn't just give the answer, ladies and gentlemen, here in Luke chapter 10. By the way, there's a parallel passage of this in Mark chapter 12. He gave the right answer. So watch this. The right guy asked the right question to the right person at the right time and he got the right answer. <laughs> and it had the wrong outcome. Because the guy didn't get saved. At least that in this particular text, he didn't get saved. But he had all the right information. Right answer, right question, right person, right situation, right time. And the guy still walked away, ostensibly not accepting eternal life. Just like the rich young ruler over there in Luke chapter 18. He walked away, the Bible says, sad because he had a lot of wealth. He wasn't willing to sell everything he had and come and follow Jesus. And so this guy apparently did not do the same. He just got all this right information, got the wrong result. Something there for us to think about. We come to church week in and week out. Our grandmother may have been saved. Our mother may have been saved. Our father may have been saved. We may have been brought up in a good church, a good family, a good home. We may know about the word. We may know about the Lord. We may know about salvation. But are we saved? Are we living what we know? Are we doing what we know to be the truth? Amen? That's really the answer. And that's really the question because James 1.22 says it better than anybody could say it. He says, don't just be hearers of the word only, but be doers. But if you read it in a different translation, that sentence is inverted, and it says, be not hearers only of the word. Watch this. Deceiving yourselves, but be doers. So James says, when you're just a hearer, when you're only a listener, when you're only gathering information but not applying information, you're deceiving yourself. You're playing church. You're playing games. You're like these scribes, these lawyers that came to Jesus to test them. It's shameful. And when we know to do better and don't do it, we studied this this morning in Sunday school, James Chapter 4, verse 17, when you know to do good and you do it and not, it is sin. And it is sin to reject the Lord. And when we continue to reject him, we can lose our soul. And these guys were just playing games with the Lord. And the Lord said, you're not. You're, if you know to do it, then do it. Matter of fact, that, that whole context ends when the Lord says, now that you, he says this, he said, you have answered correctly. I'm reading verse 28 of Luke 10. Almost done. Luke 10, 28, he says, and he answered and said, you have answered correctly. He says, do this and you shall live. Do it. Now that you know it, you obviously know it. You've been educated. You've been informed. You got the information. Now that you know it, do it. Do it, ladies and gentlemen. Don't just be receptacles of information. Let's apply it. 
Let's execute it. Yeah. Let's do it. Yeah. Let's do it. Let's do it. Here's the Monday morning moment. God is love. God doesn't just merely love. He is love itself. I'll talk more about that next week. God is love. That's First John 4, 8, by the way. God is love. We only can love him because he first loved us. But God is love. He's not just, he doesn't, and I put in my Monday morning moment, God doesn't merely love us. He is love itself. He's love personified. Amen? Let me just show you this right quick. I said I was done, but let me just show you this example. There's a line. I've done this before. This is God here. This is man here. This is us. This is a straight line. Straight line. We love God. We try to love God. But listen, it's impossible to have a right relationship with God if we don't have this, that horizontal line. We got to love our fellow brothers and sisters. To try to love God unilaterally is impossible because to love God, we measure our love to God by our measurement of our love for one another. He says, how can you love? The Bible says, how can you love God who you've never seen? And you don't love your brother slash sister who you see every day. Don't tell me you love the Lord. People will, will say, how do you know you say, I know I'm saying because I love the Lord. The Lord knows I love him. <laughs> don't you hear that? I, I love the Lord. How do you love the Lord? And you ain't even speaking to your guy across the street. You ain't spoke to Brother Jones in 20 years. You haven't spoke to your nephew in 20 months. You can't say hi to the person that you cross the street with every day. How do you love the Lord? Careful. Are you loving him just transparently? Careful. Jesus. This, this right here. We love God by loving each other. Amen. Matter of fact, the Shema, spelled S-E-S-H-E-M-A, Hebrew word which means hear, it's the first word of that verse of, the, of Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4 and 5. Hear, O Israel, our God, our Lord, he is, is one. And we are to love him with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. The King James Version, I think, inserts might for strength. We are to love the Lord with our whole heart, mind, soul, and strength. And it adds on to that. You got to jump over to Leviticus. But it adds on to the Shema, and we love our neighbor as ourselves. God doesn't allow us to exclude each other, including, wait, wait for it, according to the Beatitudes, including our enemies. Woo! Amen. Man, oh man. God just makes this, and geometry makes this right angle, 90 degree angle, so perfect. God. Man, if you love God, you have to love man. You can't love God without loving man. Wow. And you can't love each other with, properly, biblically, without the love of God. Mm. That agape love. 
not eros, that's sexual, that's for married couples, not storge, that's family love, that's for people that are of the same relation, not the word phileo, which is brotherly love, from which we get Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love, of course there's more crime in Philly than Cleveland probably, those are not the kind of loves he's talking about, not the Greek word storge, not the Greek word phileo, not the Greek word eros, but the Greek word agape, God's kind of love, this right here, this love right here, a-G-A-P-E, the highest form of love, God's love. God's love is the only love that allows us to be able to love each other. It gives us the ability to love horizontally. Amen? Amen. 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 God bless you. Come on up, Sister Janet Smith. We're going to sing. Amen. We're going to pick this up next week, part two of the Good Samaritan.